We have named this series from John chapter 4 a story to tell because we want you to learn to tell your story. And we want you to have that story on your heart and rehearse it in such a way that you can tell it to somebody else at the moment of need. When the, when the opportunity arises that you can share with somebody your story. And as we've said before, you don't have to be a seminary graduate or an expert in religion or an expert in the Bible to share your story. You can share your story because it belongs to you, and it's what God did in your life, and it's powerful when you share it, all right? Now, what we're looking at is the encounter that Jesus has had with the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. He initiated this conversation with a question, could you give me a drink of water? She's startled because Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans, and she can't believe he's asked her for water. And then he says, well, if you knew the gift of God and who it is talking to you, you'd ask, and he would give you living water. And then they have a conversation about this living water. And Jesus talks about where it comes from, and it's like a bubbling artesian well inside of the soul that springs up to eternal life. And she says, give me this water. Seems like the opportune moment for Jesus to lead her to faith. Instead, he sends her away. He says, go call your husband and come back. Emphasizing the truth that Tim has just sung about. That coming to God is not just about facing the joys and realities and all that you're grateful for. It's also about facing the difficulties of life and the moral failure and the things that cause you shame, disappointment, and guilt. When Jesus says that to her, she says, well, I perceive you're a prophet. She asks a question about worship. He talks about worshiping in spirit and in truth. And the woman responds, well, we know when Messiah comes, he will explain everything. We talked about that last week. He will explain everything, she says. And then Jesus self-identifies. I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And then the disciples arrive and interrupt the whole thing. They've gone away to get some food. And just when he self-identifies, they show up. Seems like a terrible interruption. That happens when you're sharing your story. When you're sharing the good news, you don't know what's going to take place or who might interrupt. And that happens in this case. And the next thing we know, the woman's gone. But she left her jar at the well. John records that for us. The boys arrive with food from town. They interrupt the conversation. And the Samaritan woman leaves her jar at the well and goes back to the village. I think she says to herself, man, I, I got to go tell people who this guy is. He may be gone in a minute. And so she leaves it. She goes to the village. She, she says, I just spoke to a man that told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And the people make their way to him. They made their way to Jesus from the village on the testimony of the woman. So the interruption was no problem for God. She had indeed believed. And we pick up the story in verse 31 of John chapter 4. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. 
Then his disciples said to each other, well, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes. Look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. The interruption occurs. The disciples say, have something to eat. They brought Jesus something to eat. And what I want to point out to you is what Jesus says. He already has food to eat. It puzzles the disciples. They say, somebody bring him some food. Somebody must have passed him a sandwich. How do you get any food? Food is not as readily available in the first century as it is in New Orleans in the 21st century. Our grocery stores, in fact, are the marvel of the world. World leaders come to America and they're astonished in the grocery stores. This is just an abundance of food here, particularly in this port city with connections all over the world. We have the fresh produce. It is amazing. Not so in the first century. They lived hand to mouth. They grew it. They bought it. They ate it. Jesus needs food. They say, Master, come on, eat. We brought you some food. I have food to eat that you know nothing about. That was Jesus' response, okay? Now, I want you to think about it for a minute because I want to know if you eat this food that Jesus is talking about, okay? I know you eat the other food. You got some favorite foods. Steak and eggs. I had steak and eggs this past week. It was delicious. I love fried eggs. I love steak. Love boiled shrimp. Had that last night. I know you've got some favorite foods, but I want to know, do you know about this food of which Jesus speaks? I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Sounds like an insult, doesn't it? I've got this food to eat you know nothing about. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, you guys don't know anything about this food. Sounds like an indictment of the disciples, doesn't it? I've got this food to eat you know nothing about. What's he talking about? Don't disconnect what he says, food to eat, from what he's just been doing. He's been talking to a woman in need, startled that he would stop and talk to her, amazed that he would have a discourse with her and ask her questions. All of it astonished her. This is the food he was talking about. It was food for Jesus' soul to stop and talk with this marginalized woman who was in all probability spurned and shunned by her community for the life that she'd lived. He, he loved it. It was food to his soul. I don't know if Peter, James, and John got it. I don't know if they understood they came back and they saw him talking to this woman. They were like, <laughs> they didn't know what to say. 
fact, they didn't say anything, but they had all kinds of questions. What in the world has he done? Has he lost his mind? Why is he talking to this woman? He shouldn't be talking to her. It's really curious how they respond. And now he says to them, this is food for my soul. What you've just witnessed, me talking to this woman, this is not just happenstance. That This feeds my soul. It feeds your soul too. You need this food he's talking about. If you don't get this food, you're going to live life meagerly. It won't be abundant. It's not going to overflow in you. You're not going to have the hope or the faith or the love or the joy that you want in your life till you eat this food. you got to know this food. The food that feeds your soul when you know God has used you to provide grace to someone in need. When you have been the funnel of God's activity in somebody's life, when you have been an instrument used by God to change the path of another human being, this food you must know about. You got to know about it. It changes life. It enriches life. Do you know about this food? Do you have this food? See, the woman at the well encounter is Jesus sharing with us what enriches life, what feeds you on the inside, what makes it all worthwhile. This is it. Do you know this food? Is this food you know something about? Maybe you're thinking, well, I don't feel competent. I'm not Jesus. I don't, I don't feel competent to talk to people in, in these encounters. I don't have the courage to do that. I, I don't feel like I can carry the conversation. I, I want you to stop for a minute. In the excuses we make, and they are really excuses, because I'm going to show you in a minute what you can do, okay? So, don't make excuses about why you can't tell your story, why you can't help some family member who's struggling. Before you make excuses, just realize, there are people all around you who are hungry for a kind word. We have institutions in this city that lock up hundreds of people, and if you show up, they will say, oh, thank you for coming. What do you want to tell me? I'll listen to anything. There are people in nursing homes right now, this morning, who never get a visit from a family member, and if you go to Jefferson Healthcare, they will bless you, and you can share with them, and it will be like a woman at the well experience, and guess what? It will feed your soul. Someone has just started going to see the young men who are locked up in the juvenile detention center, and he told me Wednesday, he said, I've started to go, and I tell you, it has changed my life. What's he talking about? The food to eat right here. This food. Do you know this food? Do you know this food that you can't get by stuffing yourself, but you can only get by reaching out to somebody like the woman at the well? 
you know this food? You want to know this food? It is joy. It is peace. It is fulfillment. It is satisfaction. It is life lived abundantly. Not because you cram everything into your own mouth, but because you give your life away for the dispossessed and the hurting and the marginalized and the needy. And when you do it, life blossoms and it flows out of your soul like living water. I got food to eat you know nothing about, Jesus said. You got to know this food. This is food for your soul. You don't get it by accumulating stuff. You don't get it by satisfying your own pleasures or desires. You get this food only. Only. It's only available to you as you reach out to someone else in need and allow God to use you as his conduit of grace. I got food to eat that you know not of. They start thinking to themselves, well, what, what is this food? And we, we think too. And Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Okay, so that's the second thing I want you to see. I want you to see, number one, the food to eat that is evident in this encounter with the woman at the well. And number two, I want you to see it's doing the will of God. See, my food is to do the will of God. He's not just talking about generally speaking. He's talking about what just happened with this woman at the well. This was the will of the Father above for Jesus to encounter this woman at the well. It was not a chance encounter. It was not a coincidence. This encounter was on the calendar of the Father in heaven. He had it written down for Jesus and for the woman of Samaria. He planned this. So everything you see in Jesus' exchange with the woman at the well is a revelation of the character and nature of the Creator God. It is a window into the very heart of the God who made it all, the Almighty One. You need to build your comprehension and understanding of who God is, the Creator God, from this well where Jesus talks to the woman because He did the Father's will right here and it fed His soul. This is the will of God. It is the will of God for you to reach out to those who are hurting and communicate with them the good news of the gospel. The love of God, the grace available to them, that is the will of God. And guess what? Not only on the calendar of Jesus, but on your calendar too, God has made some appointments. And you're going to be missing them if you don't pay attention. Okay? If you don't believe what I'm saying right now, you're going to miss these encounters. But if you believe that God is providential and he cares about every human being and he connects to them through you, then you're going to pick up on things that are on your calendar because God put them there and it's going to feed your soul and change your life. All right? The Apostle Paul says this once when he says, God, who comforts the depressed, comforted me through the coming of Titus. God comforted Paul through Titus. See, Titus had an appointment. 
God sent him to the Apostle Paul just like he's going to send you and like he's sending you. Now, what do you need? Well, you need to have a sensitivity, that's it, to love people, to love the stranger, to love the downtrodden, to love that person who is obviously hurting, to love the needy. If you love them and ask God for a love that prevails in your heart, as you come into the circle of their presence, your, your vision and your thoughts will shift from what's going on about you to what's going on about them. See, Jesus picked up on this appointment because he was centered on the other person, not on himself. You walk into a room and you may become very self-conscious. And you're going from table to table and eating the finger foods and you're thinking all about yourself and how you're coming off and, and do I smell okay and am I talking okay and are my clothes okay? And we're very self-conscious when we get with people. We think about ourselves. It closes down the love relationship. It closes down the bridges. It opens them back up if we start loving people. If we consciously and on purpose walk into the room and say, Lord, show me somebody to love. If we're thinking about them, how they're coming off, what they're doing. If we're trying to help them, if we turn ourselves into a servant in the, instead of the one being served. And as we take that mode, that style in the world, the style of Jesus in the world, we become sensitive to all the opportunities God's planted everywhere around us to connect to people. And these are divine appointments in our life, and God intends for us to notice them, number one. Hey, here's somebody I can help, I can speak a word to, I can bless. He wants us to notice, and then he wants us to take action. It's not just compassion that he's looking for in us. It's care. He wants us to care for the woman at the well. To care for her enough to initiate the conversation and help her know that God loves her. This is the will of God for you, my friend. Maybe you're praying, what do you want me to do, God? I want to know your will. Here's some of the will of God. Look at the woman at the well. Look at this encounter. This is the will of God for you, to be an instrument of, of his grace in people in need around you. It's the will of God for you. And if you're struggling to know the will of God, this is what I want you to do, okay? You got an assignment for this week. Find somebody in need and help them out. Maybe you're too focused on your own needs. Maybe you think, I can't help people as needy as I am. I've got so many problems with so many difficulties in my life. Somebody needs to come help me. If you're that way, if you're discouraged or, or depressed about life itself and you feel like you just can't reach out, maybe you're the person who is most acutely in need of hearing this message now. Because the flowing water of life you will discover in that interaction with the person who needs you who is God's divine appointment for you. And if you reach out to them and you help the one in need and you care for them, it will be the pipeline of God's blessing to you as well, not just to them. Jesus intends to liber liberate us from the tyranny of the stuff we own and the tyranny of how we're coming off in life to liberate us from this self-centeredness that keeps the whole universe revolving around me and to see the one whom he has assigned. Our paths cross on purpose and it is his will for us to share. This food to eat, 
This food is the will of him who sent me. Now, Jesus was sent. He's talking about the Father. We know Jesus was sent. He's the anointed one. He's the promised one. But you're sent too. Didn't Jesus say, as the Father has sent me, what did he say? So send I you. Thank you, Brother Charles. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you've said in your heart, Jesus is Lord, then you're a sent one. You've been sent. You're not meandering around in the world. You're not aimlessly wandering. You've been sent deliberately into the world by the Lord Jesus who died on the cross for you. As the Father, in the same way the Father has sent me, so send I you. So if the Father sent the Son to meet the woman at the well, he likely sent you as well to meet someone similar to her. You've been sent into the world for this purpose. You've got to peel the blinders off your eyes so you can see the people God's placed in your way. They are people he loves infinitely. He loves them passionately. He loves them as much as he loves you. And he is intent on their rescue. And he wants to rescue them by using you. It's amazing. It's a wonder that the eternal God would use us for this purpose. But it's exactly what he does. If we're paying attention, if we're watching, if we're looking for the divine appointments he gives, then we are out in the world on purpose. We are on mission. We have been sent. And the Lord has sent us for this reason, that he might use us to bring others unto himself. I mean, it's a great way to live. It's a wonderful way to live. It feeds your soul every day to do the will of him who sent you. And he said to finish his work. The, the food I'm talking about is to do the will of him who sent me. Think of the Samaritan woman in the encounter at the well. And to finish the work. I mean, it's chapter 4 of John. Jesus isn't going to the cross to chapter 19. A lot of people think this is in the front end of Jesus' ministry. I don't know where it is chronologically, but I'd expect the same. And already Jesus is thinking about finishing the work. He's going to finish his work. My food is to do his will and finish his work. The word finish is the word telos I told you about. It's the Greek for fulfillment, for completion. So Jesus is, about, is thinking about completing the work. Some of you may be looking toward a purposeless end. You may be thinking the end just comes and that's that. That's it. There's no fulfillment in the end. But not in the providence of God. In the providence of God, he brings things, including your life, to their proper conclusion. And God has a purpose and a plan for you. And what you want to make sure you do is finish the work. And it's probably not too early to determine in your heart, you're going to finish the work God gave you. You're going to complete it. You're going to get it done. Maybe you already gave up on that. There are some people who sideline themselves on purpose. They sit down on the bench. They take off their track shoes and they quit. I was 17 years old when I went to this new school, and the, and the coach thought that I would be a great track star. I don't know why. 
So I wanted to pole vault. That's what I wanted to do. And I was decent at that. But he put me in the fast heat of the 880 in the first track meet we went to. I said, you want me to what? I want you to run the 880, fast heat. I looked down there, and every one of those guys' legs was as long as I was tall. I thought, this is not good news. And they sound a gun, and I'm taking off and thinking, man, you know, we got a half a mile to go. I'm not going to use all my energy. And they all sprinted. I didn't know you're supposed to sprint the first 110 yards so you get your place in the line. You know, my place was last when I got to the place to break in. And I spent it all just trying to keep up with them. And we went around that track, and I tried to stay up and tried to stay up. And we came around the back stretch, and I thought I was going to die. My heart was pounding. My legs were like lead. I said, I'm going to faint on this track. And I get around to the last curve, and everybody's finished the race but me. And the referee is at the finish line swinging his whistle. And I'm running toward the stands, and they're not saying happy things. And so in this moment, I just took my blue track shoe, and I just put it on the green grass. And I stepped off the track, and I disqualified myself. I quit. I still remember that moment. I mean, it's vivid. It's been a long time ago. I still remember that moment. And I was sitting there heaving with my hands on my knees. And the coach walked up to me and he, he patted my back. He said, David, you're not going to quit anymore, are you? I said, no, sir. I didn't know how I'd feel if I quit. But when I did, I realized, you know, the biggest loser is the person who quits, who never gets to the finish line. What about you? What about you? You're going to finish this thing you started with Jesus? Maybe you were a child or a teenager or a young adult. God tugged on your heart. You gave your life to Christ. You decided you were going to live for him. You're going to finish this thing? Are you? You know how starved you're going to be if you don't? You know how empty it's going to feel, your life? See, this is food. You finish this work, and it sets flowing the love, the joy, the peace, and the abundance Jesus came to give you. But you quit this work, and what are you going to do? Who are you going to be in the world? Where are you going? If you leave this behind, if you sideline yourself, what are you going to do? Jesus said, my food is to finish his work. And everybody in the room needs to know it's your food too. It fed the soul of Jesus to get up every day and said, I'm going to get this done. There will be days when you don't feel like it. There will be problems. There will be pressure. There will be controversy. There will be resistance. You're going to face a stiff wind sometimes, and sometimes the resistance will be right here. 
It's just not worth it, you might say to yourself. The pain is too great. Why would God let me go through this trouble that I'm in? I don't understand. I can't even see that God loves me. I know what goes on in your mind and your heart about the circumstances that come your way. You never imagined life would be this hard when back when you were a kid you said, I want Jesus in my life. And now all of a sudden life got hard. And you want to step off the track. And I'm telling you, that's when it really caves in. See, when you quit this race, what is left to feed the soul? The food every day is to get up knowing you're a Jesus person, that you committed your life and you call him Lord. He died on the cross for you, and when your knees get weak, you look to the one who gave his life for you and died for you, and you say, I'm not going to quit because he stayed in it till he said, it is finished, and that's me too. And it's not too early for you to commit to finish the work he gave you to do. There's an urgency about this, and Jesus talks about it right here. I mean, the disciples are thinking, man, we got a long time. Jesus knows he doesn't have a long time. Four months till the harvest. The harvest is coming. We know that. But I want you to see the harvest is ripe. The harvest is ripe. And every time God puts a, an appointment on your calendar for somebody who's been prepared to hear the, the message of God's love, you're part of the harvest. There, when Jesus mentions the harvest, I get a sense of urgency. Because when I think about the harvest, I think about my brother-in-law farmer. He and his two brothers, David Westerfield and, their, and his two brothers, they farm 16 square miles of black land around Crawford, Texas. 16 square miles, more than 10,000 acres. And when the corn gets ripe and the wheat gets ripe, you can't leave it in the field. you got to get out there. And so all of the brothers and sisters and cousins and nephews and my own father used to drive a grain truck at harvest time, and they looked forward to it, and for three weeks, everybody was in on the harvest. I want you in on the harvest. It's food for your soul. It's the will of God. It's how you finish the work. No, it's harvest time. I don't want you to lay aside. Don't quit your regular job, all right? You got to keep feeding your family. We don't want you to pull out of life. We want you to know it's harvest time, and there's food for the soul for you in this harvest time. It is to do the will of the Father, the one who sent you, and to finish his work, and it'll feed your soul. So live with the sense of the harvest. And if you do, life will be full of gratitude and joy. Just before we came into this room, I learned that Myrtle Louise Ainsworth, my dear friend of 20 years... Her husband was on the search committee that brought me here 20 years ago. Myrtle Louise died this morning at 6 a.m. I always called her both her names, and she called me mine, David Eldon. I have people ask me, what's your middle name? Well, Myrtle always knew. It was Eldon. She blessed my soul for these 20 years. She was cheerful. She was in the hospital last time I saw her. It was just a couple days ago. And as I was on the way to the hospital, I said to the Lord, God, I want to hear something from Myrtle. She's been on the planet for a long, long time. I told the early service how old she was. You can ask them. 
okay? She's one of our oldest members. And on the way to the hospital, I said, I want to hear from her. She's been sweet to me. She's been kind to me. She's been my friend. I want to know what she has to say to me. So I showed up in the hospital room with this expectancy that I would hear a word from God. And I walked in there and started talking to Myrtle. And then you know what she said? She said, this morning, I had the best breakfast I've ever eaten in my life. It's hospital food, okay? I know that. And then she tells me what it was. She said, I had soupy grits and scrambled eggs and toast and jelly, and they just do it right here. It's the best breakfast I've ever eaten. She told it to me twice. And somebody called in the middle of our conversation. She told them about her breakfast. And then she told me, my doctor, he's the sweetest man. And I thought to myself, I wonder if all his patients say that. Or if hearing that he's the sweetest man, I'm learning more about Myrtle than I am about her physician. And I concluded that God was saying to me, celebrate all the blessings of life, the little as well as the big. Live in gratitude for the soupy grits you get in the morning, even if the hospital makes them. Live this way, because every day and every breath, if you receive it as a gift from the Father above, if you receive it as His grace, then you are ready for the moment when He brings the woman at the well into your path, and it will feed your soul. Bow with me, please. Somebody in this room maybe has been thinking about trusting Jesus. Like this woman at the well, you've heard this message that Jesus is Lord. Maybe today's the day for you to pray this prayer or something like it. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me for my sin. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me and rose again from the dead. And I receive him into my life and confess him as Lord today. I hope you'll pray that prayer if you haven't. Committing your life unto Jesus in faith, believing that he hears and answers. Heavenly Father, we want this food that Jesus talks about. We want to do your will and finish your work. So put in us your Holy Spirit, the determination to press forward, the resolve to keep our eyes on Jesus who went to the cross for us. And Father, feed our soul through this good work of love and grace. In Jesus' name we pray.